Um, Hebrews chapter 11. This is part three in a series called Progressive Faith. Progressive Faith. Um, well, to understand what progressive faith is, maybe uh, while you're turning there, um, what we need to do is juxtapose it against static faith or faith that isn't progressive. Progressive means moving and ju not just moving in motion, but moving forward. The idea of progressiveness suggests there's a plan and a purpose and it's right and appropriate to move forward. So that would be progressive faith. Now, if if you don't have progressive faith, then what you have are beliefs, which is good. It's great to have beliefs. Um, people, have, uh, people have the truth in their heart. They read their Bibles. They have beliefs, but they're not necessarily pursuing them. They're not, they're not actively guiding those people's lives. So their, their faith is not guiding their life. It's just maybe a, a, a private anchor within their heart. Um, nothing wrong with that, but it's better if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to follow Jesus, to have a progressive faith because God's got a plan for each and every one of us. And so we, we, want, we should be following him every single day. So every day, even though we live in routines, and some of those routines slip into ruts every now and then, which is a grave with the ends kicked out. But if you find yourself in a rut, pray God to get you back in the routine. But whether it's a rut or a routine this morning, just know that God wants our life, whatever it is, to be purposeful. It's, it's meant to be a ministry. Your life is meant to, to be a ministry as unto the Lord. Exactly, um, exactly what Cindy read out of Isaiah. Let your light shine. Reignite that light. When she was praying, reignite that light. It's not that the Holy Spirit's left. We let it get dim. If any of you who've lived up north ever ran coal fires in your house, you know that uh, you, you have to revitalize that fire, not let it run out. So progressive faith is a faith that is moving. You're moving, living in faith. It is the beacon that is the homing device in your life. Well, it was the homing device in Moses' life, and Moses is a hero to a lot of people. He's one of the most heroic examples of pr true progressive faith in the Bible. And this little section of scripture sums up his career as a man of progressive faith. So I'd like to read it, it's Hebrews 11, 24 through 29. There are um, in this section, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight words that represent eight steps in progressive faith. So I'll emphasize them as we read them. By faith. Number one, faith, when he was come to years, Moses grew up and refused, number two, to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, number three, rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming, number four, the reproaches of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect for the recompense of the reward. By faith he, five, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he, and number six, we're going to deal with this morning, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Let's go on. Through faith he, seven, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith 
they, in the final step, they passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry ground, which the Egyptians attempting to do were drowned. So, okay, progressive faith is the great, great story of one man's walk through life in faith that actually advanced an entire race of people. As he walked in that commission that the Lord gave to him, he brought a whole uh, um, race of people out of slavery in Egypt and on their way into the promised land. And that's what you and I, our life, should be like. You may not be leading um, three million slaves out of Egypt, but each and every day, your life is uh, still nonetheless purposeful in the eyes of God. And so we want to be fulfilling the purposes that heaven has for us. Tomorrow when you get up on Monday, you want to have the, you don't, you don't want to have the Monday that Monday has prepared for you. You want to command the Monday that heaven has ordained for you. So, you know, we've gone through the first handful, faith, Refusing, choosing, esteeming, and forsaking. And step six is so important, I'm just going to dedicate this morning to it, endured. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. There's a couple of other translations that change that phrase, and I thought they were good enough to, to bring them up here and share them with you. He endured as though he could see the one who is invisible. Are you catching that paradox? As if he could see the one who is invisible. Um, another translation says, he endured and kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. What a statement. What a statement. Think about it. Am I keeping my eyes on the one who is invisible? Am I walking as though I see the invisible truth against the visible conflicts that surround me in my life? What a tremendous statement. So let's just sort of distill that down into a, an exhortation. If you're going to walk with Jesus, if, if you're going to follow him, if you're going to walk with God, you have to learn to pay more attention to what your faith sees than what your eyes see. Is that fair analogy? Very simple Pay more attention to what your faith is seeing than what your eyes see. Paul wrote about it in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. At the end of the chapter, he says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal or passing away, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we're being told that to walk with God, to follow Jesus, we need to allow our mind to be informed by what the eye of faith is showing us out of our relationship with him and out of his word, right? And we are looking at the eternal. The, I like the Amplified version, although I didn't read it here. The Amplified version says, the things which are seen are 
temporal passing away, fleeting. But the things which are not seen, it gives about three or four descriptions, and one of them, it says, are deathless. Deathless. So when you feel like you're dying, or you're on a job that's a dead-end job, or you feel like you're in a relationship that's dying, you're reminding yourself, I walk through a world that's dying, I'm dying, what do we need to do? We need to find something that's deathless. Like the, that old song we sang, I go to the rock. Uh, when I need a shelter, when I need a friend, where do I go? I need to see something eternal that's going to override what is temporal, what is dying. What is eternal can override what is temporal. So this verse about endurance says we endure as though we are looking at him who is invisible. Look, you cannot control what you see in life. Wouldn't it be great if we could turn on the news and see some things and control them? I would love to control some of the stuff I've been seeing lately. And I know sometimes I behave as though I, my behavior is controlling it, but it isn't. You can't control what you see every day, but you know what? You can choose what you look at. You're the one who chooses what you look at, though you can't control what you see. And that is the secret to endurance. When you don't have control, use choice. God has given you a free will. He's given you choice. And when you don't have control, and Christians oftentimes think that, that the, the earmark or the quality of, of walking in obedience with God is that you can control your environment, your circumstances. And that just isn't true. And when, when their circumstances are running them down and overwhelming them, they begin to become discouraged and think, you know, what's happened? God's abandoned me or, or I'm not walking by faith. But the reality is, is that faith is not in your ability to control. It's in your ability to choose. That's where the door of faith starts rushing into your life is the choices. You choose what to look at while you can't choose to affect what you see. 1 Timothy um, chapter 6, verse 12 is a very familiar uh, uh, scripture and it really fits in this situation. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, fight. The good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life. Your faith cannot survive without endurance. Your beliefs can survive without endurance because they're not active. They're not going anywhere. You're not employing them. They're not soldiers that you have sent out in a conflict. They're not fighting for you. Your faith is safe here, locked up in the inside with your thoughts. But if you have deployed your faith and you have committed yourself, you've got a stake in the outcome and you are living a life like Moses did of progressive faith who in obedience to what God had told him to do, went back into Egypt, confronted the Pharaoh, though he was an outlaw at this point, and uh, he put himself at risk. Your faith, progressive faith like that, must have endurance or it will not survive. 
It has to push through the resistance that Satan throws against it every day. And I think that's why sometimes we, we stop having progressive faith and we just retreat into believism because it's less painful. No risk taken, nothing lost. Lord, here, the talent you gave me is buried in the backyard. Remember? But we remember the attitude that the Lord had about that, burying the talent. God likes not people who are reckless, but people who are willing, if need be, to risk their lives in order to be progressive in their faith. Let me tell you something else about endurance. Endurance does not come from the strength of your determination. There are some tremendous stories. Google sometimes stories of endurance, and there are wonderful, heroic stories. Some are biblical, some are just historical, of uh, people, and average people like you and I, are out there, and probably in here too this morning, but out there all around us who are living heroic lives and they are employing endurance in their lives. They're enduring hardship, enduring suffering, enduring circumstances, enduring to move forward. Now, the thing that you need to know about the endurance that is a critical element of progressive faith is that it is not a product of your strength of determination. It's not you bearing down and saying, I'm going to get through this. Because quite frankly, the devil knows what your limits are. We tell him all the time, don't we? If you do that one more time, so help me, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> so get ready because it's now it's about to happen. See, the devil knows, oh, that's the last straw. I've got straw, plenty of straw. And he just... So it doesn't come from the strength of your determination. Endurance comes from how you manage your weakness, not how you bear down in strength upon your determination. It's how you handle your brokenness, how you handle your weakness. You'll be surprised at some of the things you're going to hear this morning about endurance and what it really is. You know, it says, fight the good fight of faith. I read it to you in 1 Timothy 6. Take hold of eternal life. Think about it for a minute. What does that mean? Take hold of eternal life. We're being invited. No, we're being more than invited. We're being admonished. Take hold of eternal life. Fight the fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. And taking hold is you choosing to look at the things which are not seen rather than being defeated by what you do see. That is taking hold. You take hold of eternal life when you decide to look up. You know, the scripture says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. You remember the story of the three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they wouldn't bow down and worship the idol of the uh, emperor, and the emperor had passed a law, and he liked these three guys, and he had passed a law saying, anyone who doesn't bow down and worship this idol is going to be thrown into this furnace, and so they refused to bow down. And he also said, if you worship any other god. So there they are, worshiping the king of heaven, the Lord God Almighty. And they get caught. And they, they weren't trying to not get caught. And so he has them. And he says, well, I, this breaks my heart, but you guys are going to have to go into the furnace. 
And what did they say? How many of you remember their response? They said, King, our God is able to deliver us. He can keep us from going into that fire. And if you choose to throw us in, he could keep us alive so that we escape that fire. But if we perish, we perish. What you need to know, King, is we're not going to worship your image. And we're not going to stop praising our God. So you do what you have to do. We're going to do what we have to do. See, that's choosing. They didn't just allow themselves to be victims of this malevolent law. They didn't just succumb to the fear of, oh my God, we're going to get thrown in the fire. It's all going to be over in a moment. They, they, they assessed the situation and they said, who are we? And you could see them shoving each other back and forth saying, who are we? Who are we? We're Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Who are we? We're not just going to let them uh, throw us into the fire like three chipmunks, uh, you know, that we, they, they shook out of a tree. We are men of purpose. The reason why this challenge has come is because we are men of progressive faith. We are following the Lord God of heaven. So if this is it, Let's let the king know you're either going to witness a miracle or you're going to witness a graduation. But one way or the other, you're not ever going to witness us worshiping your devil image. So I like those guys. And, um, and I see that's what taking hold of eternal They took hold of eternal life. And I honestly believe that had they not said that, uh, they would have just roasted in that fire and incinerated. Why did that miracle take place? They threw them in the fire, and then the king says, wait, we threw three guys in. I see four guys, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Now, I don't know how the emperor knew what the Son of God looked like, but somehow he saw the fourth one and said, looks like the Son of God. And uh, why did that happen? Because of the... Uh, not because the formula of the words they spoke, or not because they, you know, were brave and, and uh, verbose and everything. No, they honestly, sincerely put their souls in God's hands. And they said, guess what? We are not idol worshipers, but we love God. And you're going to hear us loving God every day. So if you're going to keep this law, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to keep throwing us in this fire. We're not going to stop. And Jesus said, Boys, I'm in here waiting on you. Praise the Lord. Faith, progressive faith, is a fight. It's a fight. And that's why you need endurance. And endurance is declaring what God's word says about you, even when... It seems, and especially in the moments when it's most unlikely, when it seems most unlikely, those are the times. You know, when you look at yourself and you think, what kind of a Christian am I? You know, I, I've let three days go by. I haven't really prayed. I've just said a little prayer. And you start getting discouraged, start letting things slip. But what do people of progressive faith do? When they see those times and they're discouraged by them and they're, there's they're, they're depleted spiritually, what do they do? They get up and they begin to magnify and bless and praise the Lord. Um, 
And so you begin to declare what God's word says about you. That really um, is what Abraham did. God changed Abraham's name. And you know the story. I, I don't have really the time to go through it all, but you remember how Abraham's wife was barren. He was 100 when his son was born, and she's 91 years old. And, um, but God, 25 years earlier, when he told him, you're going to be a father of a multitude, changed his name from Abram, which meant exalted father, to Abraham, which was even worse. Because he now had to go around and, what's your name? My name is father of many nations, Abraham. But, but God redirected him. God gave him a point on the horizon. And he was true to that point. And so we need to, when we least feel like the person God says we are, we need to thank God for that vision and thank God for what he said. Psalm 2, 7 says, I will declare the decree from the Lord. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And sometimes you need to speak that over yourself. God has begotten me in Christ. John the Baptist was a man of progressive faith, and he progressed in faith, though he was surrounded by the Pharisees and the Sadducees that really um, weren't his friends and weren't his supporters, and he was in peril and danger with his ministry. Um, but he progressed in his faith by declaring what God said about him. And the stories in, first, in, in John chapter 1 says the Pharisees came to him while he was baptizing people and they said, um, who are you? Who are you really? Because people are talking about you. Some say Elijah. Who, who, who do you think you are? Give an account for yourself. Who do you say that you are? And John the Baptist pulled out one of Isaiah's prophecies and he said, I'll tell you who I am. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And so John the Baptist, at a moment when he was put up against the wall and demanded publicly, surrounded by people, by the religious authorities, give an account for yourself, you just imagine the pressure that he probably felt. He didn't resort to some sort of a comeback um, he didn't shrink. He simply reached for what he knew God had said, and he spoke that to him. You know, this morning, folks, there's something empowering about hearing yourself declare the invisible truth in the face of very visible resistance. It's one thing to listen to somebody preach. It's one thing to hear somebody on a radio or television. But I'll tell you, it's empowering when you hear out of your own mouth you're speaking what God has spoken in His Word concerning you. You are the most important prophet you will ever meet in your life. And John didn't declare that truth to them, I am the voice of one in the wilderness. He didn't declare that truth so that they would accept Him. He declared that truth so that he could endure them. Do you understand the difference? John wasn't saying, 
Well, I'm going to explain to you who I am so that you'll quit dogging me. I'm going to explain who I am so I can change your mind. I'm going to explain. I'm hoping to change this adverse situation I'm in with you guys constantly nipping at my heels and making my life difficult. And so I'm going to explain to you so that the circumstances change. That isn't what he was intending to do. He spoke out of his mouth who he was in God so that he could endure them. Whatever it is they're going to do, they're going to do. John knew he couldn't shut them up. John knew he couldn't stop them, and he didn't even bother trying. So you understand, I go back to what I said in the beginning. Endurance isn't about keeping your eyes on what you can see and fighting the fight on the natural level. Endurance is about controlling and exercising your free will, your option to what you choose to look at. The Pharisees and their resistance against John was what John saw. But he looked to the word of God and he was able to endure them until his time was up. Most of the time, you and I have to overcome ourselves. The Pharisees can be a problem. The emperor can be a problem. But who's our biggest problem? You know, the old saying, wherever you go, there you are. And so you never really get away from your problems. And uh, you, have to, you have to overcome yourself. Most of the time, you have to declare God's word to yourself in order to endure. I have to speak to me more than I have to speak to the problems in my circumstances. And the reason is, is that the trials of your faith are designed to silence your prayers, I mean silence your praise, stop your prayers, because Satan knows that that's where your endurance comes from. Those trials are meant to shut you down, and they do it pretty quick, don't they? Sometimes, I don't know what it is, but you get up, and it's the evil day. And, and you say, what do you, what do you mean the evil day? Well, the Bible says that you might endure in the evil day. So apparently there are some days and they just happen at random. It's the evil day. You just wake up and it's like, I just, I, don't, I feel like, don't feel like praising God. Don't feel like praying. Don't feel like getting along with anybody. Um, now, maybe you've never had a day like that yet. So you might think, what's the preacher talking about? I'm just warning you it's coming if you haven't had it. I don't know how you dodged it. But the trials against you that Satan puts up against you, they're designed to silence your prayers, silence your praise, stop your prayers. Satan wants to block your vision. He wants to silence your faith. He wants to dry you out until your soul becomes so brittle that you you're just sure something in you is about to break. Think with me. Maybe you have to go back a long time in your memory, but do you remember a time when you felt like if, if one more thing happens, I'm going to shatter. Something in me is going to break. I'm going to lose it. Um, you know how people will they'll walk out of the room because I know if I stay here one more moment. And, and that is exactly what Satan tries to do is to block our vision so that we can't see the light of it, to, to silence our faith so that we, you know, it, it, we don't have the strength to open our mouth and say, thank you, Jesus. God, you're good. And our soul just starts to wither and become brittle. 
And don't tell me Christians don't get like that. Because then I'll tell you there's no such thing as revival. Right? So why are we having a revival if the vibe is always going? No, the vibe isn't always going, so we have to revive it. Is that not right? So look, when this occurs in your life and you're at that brittle point, you're in that valley, you can call it whatever you want, the dry patch, you know, the staleness, the, the, the uh, you know, whatever that moment is, and it will come, the objective isn't to keep from breaking. You feel like you're going to break inside. And it's that moment, people say, well, when you get to the end of your rope, just tie a knot and hang on. Well, honey, I'm at the end of my rope. There's a reason why I'm here. I've run out of rope. Tying a knot and hanging on is not going to get me anywhere. So endurance isn't avoiding breaking. Endurance isn't avoiding a breakdown. It's, it's at this point that breaking is unavoidable. Breaking's unavoidable. You're going to break. It's going to happen. But the issue is this. The big question is, are you going to, will the devil break you? And uh, you'll give up the fight? Or will you pour out your weakness before God and break yourself before God? And let him put you back together and put you back into the fight. That's the key to endurance. Is to stop shutting down within yourself and gutting it out. Cry it out before God. Go before the Lord. You've got a comforter. You've got a friend like we were singing the song. Go to the rock. Don't turn into a rock. Go to the living rock. Right? Go to him, pour it out, and, and say, Lord, you know I'm weak. You know I'm frustrated. See, the, the thing is, when we get to a point where we get mad, we get frustrated, or we're just weak or we're weary, the enemy is trying to keep you from enduring. He's not fighting. He's not fighting what you are. He's fighting what you're becoming. He sees where you're going. He sees God's, God's plan for your life. And he's fighting that. And that's why he's put the pressure on you through the circumstances that you're going through. And so when you come before the Lord, the reason, the reason why we're in that place is we don't want to pray. We don't feel like praying because prayer, we sound like a failure when we pray. Look, anybody can run around and, and praise God and, and prayers just flow when you're at a high point. You know, when you're in the middle of a great service or you're just happy and, and the Lord's been blessing you and you're feeling great about your walk. That any, you know, where's the Bible? Just give me a Bible. Watch me read this thing. And uh, prayer, is there a prayer closet around here? I'm going to be the first one in there. You know, are we going to praise God? Come on, I'm ready. You know, you're, you're, you're just naturally effervescing and it's flowing I, I make up got a license here to make up words so the reality is is though it's not trying to make that happen all the time in your life it's how you manage the weakness how, how you manage the 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 really the times you won't confess to anybody you know all of us have them 
We have times where we wouldn't tell anybody what we're like. We don't want anyone to see it. We can't even look at it. It's when we have to endure ourselves and get over ourselves. And so we don't want to pray because our prayers sound defeated. Our prayers sound messed up. Well, you are defeated and you are messed up. Why make it sound any different? Be messed up before God. He can handle it. What, what, how, did he, how did he get raised up to glory? Calvary. He went to Calvary. There was nothing ugly about this world that Jesus didn't see that wasn't laid upon him. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so he's waiting for you there at that point where you feel like, I can't go any farther. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to throw in the towel. He's waiting for you. You say, what do you mean he's waiting for me there? That, I'm not supposed to be defeated. I'm supposed to be victorious. Well, here's a couple of scriptures to consider when you're at that moment. And these are the keys to endurance. In Psalm 34, it says, The Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted, and he saves those who have a contrite or a crushed spirit. Another psalm in 51 says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Lord, you will not despise. And in Isaiah 57, thus says the high and the lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. You see, that's why when we, we feel like we've messed up we don't want to pray because he's the high and holy. He inhabits eternity. He's perfect. Nothing in me is right, much less perfect. So we don't want to come before God at that time. And the devil knows I'm this close to ending her, to getting him to throw in the towel, to getting them to finish. I'm about ready to drive a stake through the heart of their endurance. How many of you can say you've died a lot of deaths? What did Paul say? I die daily. The Christian endurance is not I've made it to the finish line with the suit I started out in. <coughs> I've died and gotten back up a thousand times by the time I get there. The Christian isn't a person who doesn't fail. It's the person who doesn't quit because they've quit in the presence of God a thousand times, and he blew the spirit of life back into them, pumped them back up, and they came out, and the world thinks, wow, they, they just look at the Energizer Christian. They just, they just keep on going. But you and God know the truth. So let, let's hear this, this out of Isaiah. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place, and with him or her also who is of a contrite, crushed into powder, humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and the broken, to revive the heart of the ones who are contrite. God said that. God said that. Where do I dwell? I dwell here and I dwell here. It's the lukewarm. It's the in-between place that we're not really sure about. Sometimes, where, what is that place? That's where man's in control. 
of everything. That's where we're trying to control this thing, manage this thing. And so what is the secret to endurance? Progressive faith will die without it. It has to have that endurance. Is that your endurance isn't in you. You have a limitation. But the limitless one who does live within you, he's God. The Holy Spirit within you. Jesus, Lord of your life, he has your endurance. And so you go to him. You just go to him when you've sinned, when you've messed up, when you feel like, I don't know why, but, uh, and, and I know exactly how it feels. I really do. I, I, there have been times, listen, there have been times in my life I thought, well, if I wasn't the pastor, I don't know what would happen to me. Because that yoke of responsibility makes me, if, I, if I'm going to have a meltdown and run away, I need to do it by Thursday because I need to be back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I thought, well, what kind of a Christian am I? My gosh, if I was living alone, if I was like Joseph down in Egypt and there was no community of faith around me that I had to keep my testimony up, would I be like Joseph who honored God when there was no one else around? So I worry about myself. And, and so that's the topic of conversation between Jesus and me all the time. Lord, Lord, I, I help me not to misunderstand what what we've got here. The Lord loves you and he is waiting more for your surrender and your, your obedience and yielding to him so that he can show you his power, show you his grace. That's what endurance looks like. The Christian who has endurance and progressive faith, their determination ended a thousand times way back here. What you're seeing is the result of grace. You're seeing someone who has learned to live hanging on to the altars of God, hanging on to Jesus, because he loves you. And I could just keep going, but I must stop beating the horse at this point. Praise the Lord. So this morning, as you close your Bible, and I'd like to ask you to stand as we prepare to, to pray. Um, the faith that God put in your life when you received Jesus Christ as Lord is a living thing. It's a spirit of faith, the Bible says. And so the scripture says you can fight the fight of faith. In fact, you are fighting the fight of faith, whether you're winning or not. Um, by the way, when you fall before God, Lord, I just cast myself before you. And, and I'm going to be like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. If this is the end, then I'm going to go out saying, Lord, you're worthy. I praise you. Even when I don't feel like it, I praise you. That's victory. That's what victory looks like. That's what victory sounds like. So that, uh, that endurance of faith, God has put that in you. It's not in you, in your makeup or personality, your, your personality makeup perhaps, um, maybe a limited amount, but that endless, limitless, I cannot be defeated quality, that 
keeps you following the things that God has put before you, that is available in you in Jesus Christ. And that's why he's got to be the closest friend, the most important person in your life. He's got to be the one you chat with. He's got to be the one you celebrate with. And he's got to be the one you get angry with, get frustrated with. He's got to be the one you share. You don't hide all the negative stuff for your spouse. Dump it on them. You're using the wrong person for the wrong thing. Go take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Try it sometime. You think it's going to kick you out? I don't think so. He knows how to keep us. He made us. And he, he's, he knows how to improve us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, we are awed, frankly, by the nature of the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us. It is, it is not a two-dimensional force. We feel loved. We've, we feel your passion. We, you have integrated with our heart and our mind so perfectly, it's amazing but we know that you love us, each and every one of us individually, and we are grateful. And so, Father, it's looking to you, it's looking to Jesus that reinvigorates and puts endurance in us. And so I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice who's at that point right now where they feel like they've been keeping it up, but they're about to cave under the weight of it, that you would guide them to their personal little altar with you, where they, Lord, can, can just lay that burden down in your presence, and you refresh them and encourage them, pick them up, dust them off, reignite that flame, and put us back into the race we will know and you will know that we're not the same person that we were last week. We'll know that you have done something really new and marvelous in our life. And so I ask you to do that for somebody this week. I ask you to do that and begin with somebody planting that seed in their heart this morning. We ask that in the name of the, the one who went all the way for us in the name of Jesus. Now, if you're here while we're praying, while we're still heads bowed and eyes closed and we're just looking in to the Lord touching our hearts, and as you look in, you realize that you have kept that door shut and have not welcomed Jesus as God into your life. And if that's you, the opportunity is knocking at your door right now. Jesus is Lord. He is God. He is the Lamb of God. He is, he is God's sacrifice of love to save and to bring you to Himself. And I'd just love to be able to guide you and to help you to pray this simple prayer. You might be wondering, why have I waited so long? The wait is over. Let's pray. If you've never asked Jesus Christ in your life, right now, now is the moment. Because now you understand 
God's not asking you to join some special unit. He's not asking you to go do some great project. He's asking you to surrender to Him. That's the first step. That's where it begins. So let's pray this together, you and I. God, I ask you to come into my heart. I need you to save me, to really help me find what my life is about. And I believe that you, Jesus, you are Lord and you are God. And I know that as I receive you, I'll find out who I really am and why I'm here. So Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I receive you and I bow to you as the King of glory. And I accept you as Lord over my life. Pray for your precious blood to wash my sins and bring the Holy Spirit into my life and empower me to walk this walk with you, Lord. Thank you, God. I now can call you my Father. Amen. If you would, before you go, just raise your hands up to the Lord and may the, may the precious and mighty Spirit of God be upon you as you leave this house today. I release His anointing, His joy to fill your heart, the light of His countenance to fill your face, and for your feet to be guided and led as the Lord leads you out from this place to do great things together with Him this week. Be blessed, people of God, in Jesus' name. Amen.